helping organizations win one veteran at a time. This is the Greencastle Podcast, and now your host, Dan Roberts. This individuality stuff is a bunch of crap. There's a reason why. A master of innovation. The key to this growing is you. Any rational person would give up. I can't disagree with that. Make sure that we're not prisoners of our own experiences. You need a team of great people. We'll not tolerate a loser. What they need is a common vision. Hi, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Greencastle podcast. I've got Paul Ashley here in the studio with me today. He's going to be co-hosting with me from now on uh, during these podcasts. Um, And he may be actually taking some by himself, which is the case for this one. And I may be taking some by myself and we may be tag teaming some. Uh, So you'll probably hear Paul quite a bit here in the future. Um, I'm really excited about it because he's uh, he's brings a wealth of knowledge to this podcast. It really uh, brings a a depth of experience um, that I couldn't bring just by myself. So, Paul, thank you for being here in in the studio with me today. Thanks for the introduction, Dan. Uh, it's uh, great to be here, great to be part of the podcast team, and I'm looking forward to helping you out and uh, bringing some interesting guests um, to the show. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and one of those interesting guests that we had was just uh, this, this this episode. It's with Bapa Chowdhury, um, and Paul has a history with Bapa, and he's got just a fascinating story. Um, the, the places that he's lived, the places that he's studied, Uh, It's just really, really cool to listen to him. Uh, He doesn't have a history in the military, but he does have a history of working with military. So he brings a lot of knowledge to uh, the the benefit of hiring military veterans. Uh, Paul, I know you have quite a bit to say about him. So why don't you just kind of introduce him here? Yeah, Dan. So uh, I met Bapa a few years ago during my transition uh, as someone who left the uh, British Navy or the Royal Navy uh, and uh, came over to America, became a naturalized citizen and was looking for a second career. So I ran into him during my transition. And uh, this is a guy who spent 35 years uh, working for Siemens. He's uh, run his own companies. He's a public speaker. Um, He's a life coach. He's got all these uh, wonderful skill sets But the thing that impressed me uh, most about him is that he he is a real fan of the veteran and appreciates what a veteran can offer to the workplace and really appreciates their value. Um, The other thing that impressed me about him was that he's a man who really lives his life by a principle or three principles, as it turns out. And that's a bit of what he's going to explain in the podcast. Uh, So he has uh, a a lot of uh, life lessons that he's learned, a lot of skills that he's learned. And uh, he can articulate this in an entertaining and informative way. So he's met some interesting characters along his journey. Uh, Everyone from Muhammad Ali, the Dalai Lama, Bill Clinton, the the list goes on. And from each of those characters, he's drawn uh, a number of lessons which he'd really like to uh, share with the listeners. So it's a very broad-ranging conversation. Uh, A lot of uh, good tips and uh, advice uh, coming from BAPA. Um, and I think one of the most important things to note is that he has some top tips for veterans transitioning um, from the military into the workplace and some top tips for uh, hiring managers alike. So I'm sure everyone will benefit and have a takeaway uh, from the conversation. Yeah, Awesome. So folks, have your pens and papers ready because this is going to be a, an interview that is worth taking notes on. Uh, so without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this interview. Uh, 
hello everyone. Uh, welcome to the Greencastle podcast. Uh, my name is Paul Ashley. I am now co-hosting uh, the podcast with uh, Dan Roberts. Uh, I'm very glad to be on the team and welcome to all our listeners. Uh, today I'm very excited to have with me uh, a good friend of mine, uh, close associate and colleague, uh, Mr. Bapa Chowdhury. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And thank you very much for being here. Uh, Bapa has an extraordinary story to, to tell you all and uh, brings a wealth of experience and expertise in the world of business. And Dan and I were thinking we would take the podcast in a little bit of a different direction to what's uh, come before and broaden our scope a little bit. So we wanted to get in someone who is uh, an expert in the world of uh, business, who is a supporter of veterans in the workplace, but also has a message that resonates with uh, the culture we have at Greencastle. Uh, and that message uh, today is uh, breathe, balance, and believe. So without further ado, Bapa, I'd like to let, you, let the listeners get to know you a little bit. Um, you bring a wealth of experience uh, to, uh, to, to this podcast, uh, 34 years um, in, in the corporate environments. Uh, you worked for Siemens for 30 of those years. You've owned your own company. You're a professional speaker, life coach, uh, change consultant. But underlying that, um, with my experience with you, has been uh, that sort of passion you have for finding people's strengths and uh, enabling them in that way. And uh, your underpinning, uh, you know, sort of principle of that is this principle of uh, breathe, balance, and believe, which we'll get into a bit later. But first off, uh, I'd really appreciate it if you'd like to tell our listeners a little bit about your backgrounds and and where you're from. So, first of all, thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm honored to be here, and uh, I'm thrilled to share my story. Uh, with your audience and uh, clients also. My background is that I was born in India, uh, and I left India when I was two years old. My father worked for the World Health Organization as part of the United Nations, and we moved to Nigeria in West Africa. I spent a few years in Nigeria, and then went to boarding school, uh, or what they might call middle school in America, uh, in Wales, and then went on back to India for some more schooling, and then then come, came back to Africa where my father was posted in Sierra Leone, Freetown, Sierra Leone, for high school. So I finished high school in uh, in a long journey, let's put it this way. And then I went for university to Canada uh, in Montreal, Quebec, where I did my electrical engineering uh, out of McGill University in Montreal, and then joined the company Siemens, Grew up as a technical service engineer, went through various professions in, in Siemens, including management positions, and then left Siemens in 2015 to become a professional speaker. I wanted to share my story uh, on, a, on, a, on a larger scale, if I, if I may say so. And uh, it's been a thrilling ride for the last four years. Of course, the thrill was part of, part of that thrill was meeting you and, uh, and getting to this chance to talk about it. Mm. Well, thank you, Bapa, and it's um, it's a real diverse sort of um, you know, varied sort of experience you've had. Um, what would you summarize some of the sort of the, the principles of your work and what you're doing at the moment as a mainly as a sort of professional speaker and a, and a and a life and leadership coach and change consultant? So what I found was that uh, my story, uh, which you'll hear through my BBB, breathe, balance, and believe uh, philosophy, is actually a, a, a nice summary or, or encapsulation of my life. Uh, the principles of, that I grew up with by being mentored by my parents, teachers, friends, colleagues, managers, uh, I think they all groom us, right? They all they define us through a, a process. We are molded, and that's what BBB is about. 
That's great. And just so I can uh, appeal to the uh, veterans who are listening into this podcast, uh, what has been your um, level of experience with veterans in the workplace and your interactions with them as you've been through this incredible journey that you've had? So the veteran part is actually quite interesting in that uh, it started off actually when I was in um, in Wales because I went to a, a sort of a military-type boarding school uh, where an all-boys school, very old rigor, uh, British schooling, headmasters and prefects and, and, and drills in the morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, making your bed, going for a march uh, in the early morning in the winter with shorts on. So, so I got a taste of boot camp, if you might want to call it that, at age 10. And um, the second part was meeting my uncle, uh, my mother's younger brother, who later on became a general in the Indian Army. And I watched him, and he became sort of my uh, uh, mentor figure. And uh, the military that he was part of, the Indian Army, uh, influenced me very heavily in terms of how leaders are, 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 are groomed and developed. And then, of course, in working life, I met quite a few veterans in my work life, and I always liked what they brought uh, to the to the workplace. I'd really like to uh, discuss that with you because uh, I'm what you'd probably consider a good case study uh, for your work because uh, my experience was I was uh, 16 years in the uh, British military in the Royal Navy. I retired after my 16 years and uh, my commission completed and then changed my life completely. I uh, moved to America uh, with uh, my American wife and uh, became a naturalized citizen. Um, I went from being um, a naval officer to a, uh, a home dad, a home parent, uh, taking care of our three young children. And I was uh, all this time I was trying to figure out uh, what I would do for round two uh, after my military career. And that was taking a long time, a lot longer than I'd uh, planned it to be. And I'm sure a lot of veterans have this experience uh, after they've had such an intense, um, fulfilling experience in the military. How can you match that in the uh, civilian world? So, I mean, we're talking about sort of four or five years uh, in terms of process. And I think one of the problems was for me as a vet uh, coming out was uh, a little bit of lack of focus uh, and doing some self-analysis about what my skills were, what did I have to offer, where did I think I could fit in culturally, and uh, a lot of things sort of swirling around my head, and uh, I couldn't land anywhere uh, where I thought I wanted to be. A uh, number of interviews, number of prospects, uh, nothing was really clicking with me. So a mutual acquaintance of ours suggested that we meet. And as they say, sometimes no man is an island, and sometimes you need uh, a friend, you need a guide. Uh, personally, I never thought I needed one. I thought I could figure it out for myself. But uh, as it turned out, uh, it's exactly what I needed. I needed someone to look at me from the outside. Uh, just tell me, as someone looking at a veteran in my situation, coming out of the military into the working environments and coming to you for help, what did you see when, uh, when we had that first meeting? Well, I shall always remember the Panera Bread restaurant or cafe in Exton, Pennsylvania, because that's where we met for the first time, I believe. And um, what I, or the person I met was an individual who had been referred to me, uh, that being you, of course, with the notion of that you were not clear on where you should go, what you should do, where you should focus. And I found that this is not only typical of some people who come from a certain background to a new environment, human beings go through that every day, but more importantly, you had come from a very structured background uh, of the Navy. And, and when, you, when you now suddenly are facing a lack of structure, 
not clear where the where, what the and there's nobody giving you an order, nobody giving you a, a clear directive. It can be very, uh, very, I think, challenging, uh, to put it mildly, and it leads to chaos. So while you may be accustomed to handling chaos in the military, chaos in your personal life is very difficult to manage for anybody, but for people who are very structured, that's even challenging. So that's what I think the starting point was, was chaos. I, I agree. And, uh, you know, it's not something that uh, we can always recognize in ourselves. Uh, we think we're, we're getting through life, uh, you know, got every, a handle on everything. And even if it is, you know, if you're living in a, pr a pressure environment, you think you've got a grip on it. But sometimes when someone's outside looking in, they can see it quite differently. So that's great. So um, what I want to do now is just move forward uh, to your three Bs, if we can. And this is the real sort of uh, the, the meat of the uh, conversation. So taking, for example, uh, our meeting uh, and, uh, you know, looking at your principles of breathe, balance and believe, uh, how did you start to employ that? Or how do you start to employ that um, when looking at people that are in this sort of realm of confusion and chaos? And how do you advise them? So I think what I, what I, when I met you, what I found and what, is what I find in life and what we will all find in life when we enter a new situation, uh, whether it's a job situation, whether it's a family situation or, or a school, college, you know, wherever you go, you will find situations where, which are not easy to handle. And the, my first pillar or, or mantra is breathe. And, and I, it's both literal and figurative. The notion of breathing you know, taking in oxygen, uh, it, it's a process that I feel slows us down, calms us down. You know, and, and you, you picture this um, Buddhist monk uh, sitting on a mountaintop somewhere or a yogi sitting on a mountaintop or under a banyan tree. But I think that picture is actually a very powerful one. What makes that yogi or that, that, that monk uh, or that Latin chanting that they do in monasteries, what makes them calm down, slow the, the process down. And when you calm down, you listen better. You, you tend to think about things better. You know, whenever there's a stressful situation, if you're not breathing, it's getting worse. So the, the notion always comes to me about a 911 operator. You know, when you call in 911, uh, you're in a state of frantic panic, more than likely. You, there's a trauma situation or a, an accident or some situation which is causing a lot of stress. And if you think about a 911 operator, their role is to calm you down, to get glean out of you the information that's necessary for them to process an action. So what they will do is they'll ask you the same question three or four or more times from a different angles to make you focus in on what you need to focus in. So, Bapa, just taking that example of a 911 call in a chaos situation, uh, discussions we've had earlier about uh, veterans, you, you said to me that they create chaos in the workplace uh, when they come in, and they're used to chaos. It's kind of a cultural norm for the military. Uh, could you just tell us a bit about that and uh, what you've seen in your sort of impression and how veterans deal with it or even cause it in a corporate environment? So the notion of how one may cause it or be it um, it's interesting to me because when you're used to chaos and managing it, you, you're, you're trained in a certain process to handle it. And you go into that routine right away. You know, whatever that process is that you're training, we'll, I'll talk about that. But the challenge comes into when, you're, when, you, when you don't have that, uh, uh, you know, 
attention to your, your, your process. How do you manage that? And it's very challenging for, in your case, as an example, when we start a meeting, we, you know, how do you manage Paul Ashley focusing on what he needs to focus on? Because you found a situation where there was no clarity of structure and, and you're, you were lost. And I think veterans find that as a challenge when they come into a place where they're, they're used to people listening to orders or following some process. And then when you don't follow that, how do you get a team of people or an organization or a group to go with that process? How do you build that structure? That's what I find uh, is key part to breathing. And I think uh, one of the temptations uh, for veterans is to take action. I think we're used to taking action and making decisions and uh, sol solving the problem. So that can be, you know, as I imagine, a challenge in the sort of corporate world when you walk into a situation which you perceive as chaotic and you want to get the problem solved. You want to actually take action and, you know, rely on sort of your knowledge and your wits and your backgrounds and your experience to solve a problem when sometimes you have to sit back. Am I correct? Yes. So, so if you think about uh, the great leaders in the military or those who develop, who starting off from a low rank, build themselves up over time through the career path of, of the military, uh, they are managers who manage situations and grow into leaders. You know, leaders are not born. They are developed over time. So if you take a situation where uh, the best green castle consultants are ones who go into the workplace, breathe, listen to the client, assess the situation, and practice what I think is one of the most fundamental elements of breathing and, and humankind is patience. Deploy patience in your own life to understand the situation better, assess the situation before you can plan a, uh, an action plan. So the notion of solving it immediately may not be as easy as it might be in a structure where you have very disciplined people all working together to the same goal. In, in corporate life, you may find they don't have that structure. So deploying patience, breathing, slowing it down, assessing the situation are fundamental to making a plan. And it's interesting here because we're, we're linking to this principle of breathing. And when you're listening to someone, you are doing effectively that. You're breathing, you're taking time, you're taking in the information. And so I'd like to talk a bit more about listening as a, as a skill in itself and active listening uh, particularly and uh, how we can sort of uh, employ that and what skills you need to actually achieve it. My, uh, my life research, uh, which was, was transformed me when I went into sales, showed me that if I could impart one skill to somebody in my lifespan, that would be listening. If I can teach more people to listen, because I had to go through that process. And thanks to a mentor of mine, uh, who was the head of sales at Siemens at the time, uh, he educated me very bluntly that I was not a good listener. And uh, it was a uh, shocking impact on you on when, you, when you get that kind of feedback. But it was life-transforming. So the, the part of listening and what I learned from him and through the process of the time-honored uh, behavior practice was that the uh, the desire to to answer the question that you think the person needs is it runs amok in most of us. We we just want to jump in and say I know what you need, I know what you want, and and I have got it, or I know what to do. That ability to just say no, stop, breathe, sit back, and ask the questions like tell me more. 
tell me more is one of the most brilliant three words I've ever heard in my life. And if I, I the way I, I'll tell you about it was that uh, great story when you when your child comes and asks you for money, uh, you know, dad or, or your daughter or your son asks you, can I have the can I have the money? And you say no. <laughs> the immediate reaction is no. And they say, uh, well, why not? And you say no. And and if they would, if you would ask them, tell me more. What do you need the money for? And in the process of learning that, you find out that they need it for a charity cause that, you know, they wanted to contribute to the homeless or something that you believe in. You might be finding yourself dishing your wallet out openly to them. But because our first reaction is to say, I've got your problem solved. No, we stop the, the, the learning process. So tell me more is a great example of active listening where you're engaging the person that you're talking to, learning more of the, of the challenge and then resolving it. I think that's a, a great lesson, Bapa, and one that everyone should uh, really take heed of. Uh, active listening itself and knowing those proper questions to ask uh, and actually reconfirming it in your own words and repeating it back to the person who's told you, obviously confirmed. So backing up and thinking about uh, breathing and you know, sort of the way people react under, under chaotic and pressure situations, you spoke about training. Now, that's something that, as a military person, you can relate to because you spend a very large proportion of your time in the military training for that moment uh, when you're going to need those skills to come to bear. Uh, now, when we think about training, um, we, it gifts us with the knowledge of, this, knowledge of the steps to take. And we hear many stories of uh, you know, chaotic situations or pressure situations where people have been able to sort of see through the smoke and see through the fire and act in a way that is calm, corrected, and controlled to see to see themselves through the chaos. And I think one of the great examples of that was uh, was Sully, who I believe you you've met the uh, the uh, pilot who uh, landed the uh, airplane in the Hudson, and you had an interesting interesting meeting with him. I understand. Yes, so the that was Sully Sullenberg, the captain of the uh, U.S. Airways aircraft that took off from LaGuardia Airport some years ago. Birds entered, flew into the engine, and both engines failed. So they, he was literally flying uh, a megaton aircraft without any power. And he landed on the River Hudson, and uh, through teamwork and through training, he was able to uh, save all the lives of everybody on, the, on board. And when I had the ch good fortune to meet him, I remember uh, you know one of the topics he talked about was how did it come to bear? How did his 11-plus minutes of what I would consider to most human beings chaos, uh, play out. And he went into this training mode, and he, and he said, he said, what all that happened was I went into my mode of discipline, training. All that I had practiced, all that I had done for hours and hours of knowing what to do in under pressure situations came to bear. And I think that's where veterans really have that asset, that all this training is not something most people in human uh, in corporate life are, 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 have. They don't have the training that, that's there that you veterans have. So bringing that to the workplace is part of the breathe process because you're you're building your your base up very strongly. The training helps you plan for the future. That's great, Papa. And uh, I think for the those veterans that are listening, uh, here's a, a great example of how uh, veterans already embody this uh, this mantra, this mantra of breathing. And that's relying on your discipline and your, your training and your knowledge uh, to get you through those uh, chaotic times. 
So we've covered uh, breathe as your uh, your first uh, element of your mantra, Bapa. Uh, I'd now like to move to uh, balance, the second B. Now, people may have various uh, sort of opinions of what this means. So I'd like you to define it for us in this context. What is balance? Rather than I tell my story, I'll tell you the story that happened to me uh, that defined balance in the best way I could, I could ever imagine. I was giving a speech talk to a group of high school students in East High School, Westchester, Pennsylvania, where my children actually went to high school and, and are going to high school still. My son is there now. And I was giving a talk to a bunch of students, on a group of students on, on this topic of breed, balance, and believe. And I got to the balance part and I asked the group of students, a large group of students, about why do we need to balance in life? And I was expecting this, you know, answer to come back, which was, you know, either either very simple or, or very profound. I wasn't quite sure. And uh, nobody put their hand up. <laughs> so I was left waiting for the answer. I didn't want to say, tell them myself, but I wanted them to say it. And somebody, one young, young, young man, sheepishly put his arm up, and I ran to the back of the room, and I grabbed him, and literally, I said, yes, I guess. tell me why we need to balance. And he simply said, so we don't fall. That's great. It stunned me. It stunned me in its simplicity and its profoundness that we don't want to fall. So before you can deploy an action, before you can enact a plan in a corporation, before you can get your life together, you need to first make sure that you're balanced in, in, in your regards to the planning. Are your resources the, the right resources? Do you have the right people on your team to if, in, enact a plan? Uh, are you, uh, do you have your allies in, in, in the workplace or in your life? Are you seeking the right guidance? That's all part of balance I'll talk about. Uh, I agree, Bapa. And one of the things I sort of want to sort of try and tease out from you is how do we know when we've achieved it? Because this can be a long-term struggle to achieve this balance. You've talked about a lot of things, home, work, family, career, all these moving parts that we have. Uh, a very tough uh, call to get that all into a centered balance. But how do you think we can recognize that? So I don't think it's ever a state of being absolutely in balance. You know, equilibrium is hard to achieve in life. It's a constant moving flow. So the notion of being balanced is, you know, take, take your own pulse check. Uh, it, 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 I, I, I say it a simple way, but I think it's a, a good way to say, ask yourself how balanced are you? And I think if you look in the mirror and be honest with yourself, you will, be, you will tell yourself the real answer. So let me ask you personally, Bapa. I mean, you've had a, a long career. You've had many different managers, management experiences. You've managed many different situations. Uh, can you think of a career situation that you've had where you felt personally most in balance? Yes, I think the, the, the best example was when I went into sales. I, I had spent some time with Siemens in my career in Siemens being in the technical side, and I went to marketing. I spent a number of years doing marketing. I was uh, my MBA at Rutgers University in New Jersey. And then I decided that at that point in time that I wanted to go into sales. And uh, I was in my 30s, and I wasn't exactly 22 anymore, and, and going into sales was something I had never done before. It was a, a, an imbalanced situation. But I jumped into it, and um, I found out that it's not as easy as you may think it might be to just jump into a situation and, and attack it. I had to learn my own way 
of breathing, bouncing, and believing. And, and that was a great experience for me. So, Papa, when we talk about balance, there's plenty of barriers and challenges to being in balance. Can you talk about some of those? One of the biggest challenges to balance, I believe, is our ego. Ego gets in the way of life. Uh, we, we tend to let our egos drive us forward rather than being humble. And uh, a great story that I, I learned from myself of humility and, and being humble was many years ago I had the great fortune of meeting the Dalai Lama, the head of the Buddhist faith. And um, we were in Delhi, India. My uncle had been so kind as to arrange a meeting with the Dalai Lama. I, I heard him speak, and I got to shake his hand after the meeting. And uh, I had this picture that I captured at the moment uh, about uh, that, uh, that moment. My uncle had the camera, and uh, he was taking a picture of me. And I didn't realize it at the time, but later on when I looked at the picture, I learned a, 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 a hard lesson. Because if you look at the picture, and it's on my website, you can see it there, it shows the, the, the Lai Lama shaking hands with me, and I am looking at the camera, wondering with my uncle, did you get the picture? And I turned around, and in the picture you see the Dalai Lama, this man who millions follow, uh, is looking directly at me. You know, he is living in the moment. And in the moment, I was not there. And I turned around to him after that handshake, and I was embarrassed. Because he just shook my hand. And in fact, he, he said something to the effect, I don't even remember his exact words, but something to the effect of be happy. He's, he's, he imparted to me this wisdom that has changed my life and said, be happy. And later on, when I, when I, as my life evolved, I thought about that moment and saying, I was not humble at that time. So t when, you, when, you, when you balance yourself, balance your ego. Look at people in the eye when you listen to them. Listen to them intently. Make them your, your focus, your attention point. And people will trust you more because your ego is not in the way. So, Bapa, we've covered breathe, we've covered balance. Uh, let's come to the third uh, element of your mantra, believe. So let me ask you outright, uh, what do you mean when you say believe in, in this context? What I mean is that I think it comes down to confidence. Before you are confident to start something, you should have done your breathing to learn, your balancing to assess the situation, plan your, 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 your game plan. And then when you have the training done for what you are going to employ now, you're ready, you're, you're more confident to, to act on your, on your instinct. So when I talk about uh, believe, I mean to say, Believe in yourself, first of all. Believe in your team. Believe in your, in your infrastructure, your processes. It all comes together. So like a, like a good fighter, a boxer, who goes into a world championship heavyweight fight, uh, there's months spent of training. You know, the, the road work. The, uh, and the, the, actually, rather than boxing, I love the story of the Karate Kid where uh, Mr. Miyabi, the, the wise instructor, teaches the, the young man to wash a car. And he says, wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off, with his right hand and left hand. And though, though that fundamental training which you get when you're in the military or 
is part of that training. It, it prepares you for believing. So when you now get to the race or, or the, 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 the mission or the, the, the consulting job that you're on, you are ready. Your, your belief in your system, in your infrastructure is all put together. That's what I mean by believe. So having this uh, faith in yourself, uh, this sort of self-awareness uh, process, now that takes some time investment, as, as, we, as we both both, both agree. So how do you teach somebody or how what lessons can you give to our listeners of how to look within yourself and recognize the talents you have and then bring them to bear? So meeting you is, I think, a, a good example of that, where I, when I met you, I said, tell me more about yourself. Tell me more. Uh, and when I found out that you were a Navy officer, I, the immediate thought that I had was, well, why aren't you bringing that into the equation here? Why aren't you telling people in, in America that I've done 16 years in the Navy and there are certain skills that I, I learned while I was in the Navy and there are certain talents that I have now that bring me a, a, to a different level. And the difference between skill and talent, if I may take a second to talk about that, is that skills are something that you learn and talents are something that you are probably gifted with. You know, some people are great, talented basketball players or, or violin players. They have a certain talent that is in their DNA for something. You can teach a person to play a violin, but it takes a particular talent to become a maestro. So when, I, when we met, I said, well, what are your skills and what is your talent? And what I found with you was that by, by, by your belief seemed to spark alive when you talked about your background in the Navy, your interactions with people in the Navy, your learnings in the Navy. And now you're looking to start a career. And I said, well, Paul, take that belief that you have in yourself and use that belief in your, in your, in your go-to-market process. And I think uh, it's, it's a common problem that I've heard from, uh, from many fellow veterans that I know is that, that that selling of yourself, that sort of introspection, appreciating, appreciating what you're good at and marketing it out into the corporate environment is something that can be very alien to someone who's spent their life in the military. So I, I think what people look for in the workforce, what, what managers look for, and what they see in veterans is that these behaviors that you talked about are many times ingrained in people in the, in the service. Loyalty, for example. Most people treasure loyalty. But that's not always understood in, in corporate life. It's, uh, people don't, don't wake up in the morning and say, are you loyal? But it's something so well ingrained in a person who is a veteran that following that loyalty banner, leaders look for loyalty. People want to know they're surrounded by people who are loyal to them. But how do you bring that to, to, to the bear? So I think that's the part of the challenge that with, with believing is, is that show your confidence, show your, your training in the right language, in the right examples that people can understand in, in corporate life. I totally agree, Bapa, and uh, that's uh, something that you know we we as veterans we we know we have these skills ingrained in us. We know we have these values ingrained in us, but uh, articulating that and bringing that to uh, to bear on a potential hiring manager or potential company that we're we're interested in uh, that that that's the challenge. Uh, but I think a lot of it has to do with the, with the way you research uh, companies and businesses that you're interested in if you are a veteran uh, seeking employment. Because we talked about, uh, in, uh, before we started speaking on the podcast, about mm -hmm. cultural fits and cultural norms. And if you share these values that we talked about, service, adaptability, loyalty, etc., 
you're looking for a business that embodies those and you're looking for someone that marries with your own personal held uh, values. Uh, and that's a challenge in itself, find, finding those areas where you can achieve that kind of synergy. Uh, I want to back up a little bit and talk about um, this branding and marketing uh, elements and, uh, and, and just sort of uh, answer that question about how we do it and how you become skilled at it. Because people look at marketing and sales is maybe not a field they want to go into, but it's a necessary part of your life if you're putting yourself out there in, into the workplace. So I'm interested in hearing sort of your views on, you know, how we should approach our own marketing and selling of ourselves when we put ourselves out there. The best marketers are people who have products that don't need to be defined better. They, they self-define themselves. So if you think of a, a great brand, whether it's a food brand or a car company or a human being, um, if, if your values and your 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 background exemplify those 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 assets, so people will believe you. It takes time to build a brand. You know, brands aren't built overnight. So you, as a as a human being, you as an individual, will not build your brand overnight. However, you in your case, when I met you, you had sixteen years of brand building, and you never thought about that. You never thought about my God. I mean. It takes a lifetime to build a brand like that. 16 years is a lifetime. So somebody who's served in the forces has that background. And I think that's so when, when I think about marketing and branding yourself, I don't think of it as a negative. I think of it as a positive. Maybe we, we shouldn't use the word branding or, or advertising. We should say, my story is the following. I did this, this, this. So I, I think what people want to hear is your story. People believe in stories. The better you can tell your story about your background, which is what you did with me, and I, I asked you more questions about the Navy and what you and you told me great stories about your experiences in the Navy that, that formed you. I think that's what veterans should bring to the, the interview or the consulting job or a workforce that you work in. I think that's, uh, that's, that's great, Papa. And when you talk about stories and personalizing it and embodying those values, uh, then you can really sort of... Uh, bring it to bear and visualize it or have the person that's listening to you visualize it in their minds. One uh, story that my, one of my favorite ones that you have is uh, your principles of uh, how you approach sales and that classic uh, phrase you use that no is a maybe. Uh, I wonder if you could just tell that story for our listeners and, uh, and how you sort of uh, in, embody that in your, in, your, in your life. The story I like to share about no is a maybe is that um, when I first came to America, what you should know is when I, when I came to America uh, for the first time to work here, I, I left London, England, and I came to America. My first port of call was in Forest City, Arkansas. And I did not know anything about Arkansas. I did not know where it was. I, and I, I was a little disappointed that I wasn't going to Los Angeles or New York City and, and uh, being on Hollywood Boulevard. But it turned out that you know, Arkansas was a great place for me to be. Uh, people were friendly. And years later, uh, that story came to bear, and I'll, I'll share that with you. I was with a group of people, and I was in sales, uh, sales management. I was with a group of people in a restaurant in Manhattan, New York, and we, uh, we were dining, and an Escalade pulls up outside the, the restaurant, and a person jumps out with the hood on and Secret Service surrounding them, and I was like, wow, you know, who's that? 
And through a process of inquiring, tell me more, tell me more, I found out that it was Bill Clinton uh, who had just uh, left the presidency of the United States at the time. And uh, I said, oh, my God, that's a great opportunity to meet somebody. And I, I wanted to meet Bill Clinton. So during, after the course, during the course of dinner, I, I had an opportunity to get up and, and, I, and I went to the back of the room and he was dining in a private part. And I said, I got my moxie together and I said, come on, Papa, go meet Bill Clinton, you know, moxie up, big guy. And I stormed out to the back and I walked right up to this table and, uh, of course, a big arm come, came out and blocked me and it was Secret Service and they said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'd like to be Bill Clinton. They go, yes, so would many other people. Thank you, sir. Be on your way. Private party. And I went to the men's room and what felt like four hours, but probably 40 seconds. Came back out and I found out, I saw that the Secret Service rotation had changed in the time I was away. And I saw that as an opportunity in life to, you know, try again. So I walked up again, and uh, in taking the notion that a no is a maybe, I stormed back up to the table, and this time Bill Clinton looked up. So when the arm came to stop me in the Secret Service, Bill Clinton looked up and saw me, and he, you know, he waved me over. He said, come on over. And, you know, the Secret Service was as shocked as I was. Uh, I, I just stepped, stepped aside, and I walked up to him, and I shook Bill Clinton's hand, I said, hi, Mr. Clinton, I'm Mr. Bapa Chowdhury from Siemens. And he looked at my card that I gave him, and he said, Papa, Siemens, I opened a plant for Siemens in Forest City, Arkansas. There you go. I mean, what an interesting storyline, that our world's connected through a location, a city in Arkansas, which I used to call Arkansas when I first arrived. Uh, and... The notion that I met Bill Clinton isn't what, what I find most fascinating. Is I find that I meet everybody. I met you. You changed my life in many ways, too. But the notion of not letting a no stop you and, and just forging ahead, I, mean, I, I don't mean blindly, don't forge ahead blindly, forge ahead with confidence, forge ahead with belief, forge ahead with balance, and, uh, and success can come your way. That's great, Papa, and that's, uh, that's uh, a wonderful story. I really enjoyed hearing it again. To summarize, we're talking about belief as a strength. You have to build that strength uh, over learning and training and building your knowledge, and it's that, that strength in that belief that's going to carry you through to your, to your goal at the end of the day. So that wraps up our uh, three, three Bs, uh, breathe, balance, and believe. So now I'd like to tie this all together, Papa. Uh, we've talked uh, about a broad range of subjects here, all tied into this principle of the, the three B's. What is underpinning all this? If we embody these values that you talk about, what does that achieve? What does it bring us in the end? Let's take it in two steps. Um, the first step that I would like to talk about is that em em employing these three pillars, these three belief systems, mantras, leads to happiness. And I'm a, I'm a big believer that what we ultimately want in life, or what we all seek, whether we're 2 or 20 or 90 plus, uh, God, God bless you if you live past 100, is we want to be happy in life. And it's omnipresent, omnipotent, uh, <laughs> it's everything we want. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, we'd like to be happy. So I use these three models, these three principles as that underpinning to say, execute on these and you'll attain happiness. And in my life, I've done that. I always go back to my BBBs models in whatever situation I find myself in, whether it's a corporate challenge, whether it's a life challenge, whether it's a family situation. I, I, I execute on these three things, and I found that these lead to balance. That's number one. 
or happiness rather. The second thing is how do you execute it on a regular basis? And that's where I talk about the discipline of happiness. You know, happiness isn't something you wake up in the morning and just say, oh, <laughs> I'm happy every day. And no, I am probably not happy every morning when I wake up. I'm one of those people who takes a little time to wake up. Uh, a cup of tea uh, is good for me in the morning. Uh, you may want coffee. You may go for a run. But I think happiness is something that you attain through discipline, through rigor. If you execute these three principles of breathe, balance, and believe on a regular basis in whatever situation you find yourself in, you can attain happiness. And happiness is a propellant to me. It fuels performance. If you think about it, happy workers typically perform better. Happy singers perform better. Happy soldiers perform better. Whatever your situation is, happiness leads to performance. And higher performance leads to success. So in, in other words, happiness is a catalyst for success. So actually what you're talking about here is that happiness is uh, a link to productivity. There's, a, there's an actual value to it that people actually want and crave in the workplace. Very much so. In, in fact, you know, in, in the past, if you thought about 30 years ago, did people study happiness? You know, were there, were there books on happiness? No, but today there's an industry on happiness. There's a science to happiness. The Harvard, Harvard is studying happiness. The Dalai Lama is talking about happiness. So happiness definitely has value. And maybe there's other words we could use for happiness. Uh, employee engagement. Uh, today we, we find that employees are disengaged. Uh, they, don't, not, they don't feel fulfilled. Greencastle comes into to, to that process. You, know, uh, you bring consultants into the workforce that affect activities that help productivity. That's a measure of happiness also. People are more productive when they're happy. So you may not use the word happiness, but you may use words which are jargon for corporate life or business life or military life. And I think those are fundamental to to value. Indeed, I think that's, uh, that's, that's spot on, Bapa. And thinking about it uh, across the three Bs, uh, if an individual uh, takes time to breathe, relaxes, has focus, if an individual is in balance with themselves, with the state they're in, with the culture that they work in, and if they believe and have faith in what they're doing, they feel confident, they feel they're using their talents, then that is kind of the three key ingredients for making someone quote, happy in their life. You said it better than I could. Uh, I think we need to bring that to the workplace. We need to bring that to our life. That we need to, And I teach a course on this, actually. I've, I've developed a model that shows people how to go through these steps of breathe, balance, and believe. That's great, Papa. And I saw people gain great value from uh, from those those courses and uh, and your instruction. But also, the some of the other service you provide is uh, as a keynote speaker. And uh, I was particularly interested in a recent uh, talk you gave on diversity. And I think our listeners would uh, gain great value from um, hearing your perspective on that diversity in the workplace. So, as you said, I, I speak about this. I, I do keynotes and I do workshops with people on happiness, uh, where I talk about the, the three Bs. And one of the elements I found was that uh, diversity actually came up as a, when I was asked to talk about it when I was with Siemens. And I was asked to give a talk on, on diversity. And the more I thought about my talk, I, I, I did some research on it, and I thought what I found powerful was that happy people are people, people 
were diverse in many ways. They, they, they surround themselves with diverse people, diverse thoughts. So uh, the, not only is diversity about caste, color, you know, backgrounds, cultures, but to me, the, most, the strongest part of diversity is the diversity of our minds, of our thoughts. When we bring people together who have surround ourselves by people who are diverse in our thinking, we actually build ourselves to be stronger because we have a diversity of ideas. And ideas generate actions. Ideas generate results. So my, the, the talk I, I gave and I give is the diversity of thinking or thought leads to diversity of ideas and together we are stronger. So in any situation that you find yourself in, and the military is a great example of diversity. It's just a fantastic example. In, in the military, you have people who come together from a variety of backgrounds, variety of cultures, variety of uh, trainings in, the, in their life before. You bring them together. You confluence them into, a, into a, a cohesive unit, which still fosters diversity, but brings it together to do an action plan. And if you can take that diversity of thinking into the workforce, it's a powerful thing. I really appreciate you articulating that for our listeners. I want to try and uh, wrap up our conversation now, Bapa, uh, and I want to try and underline uh, everything that you've said uh, following the mantras of breathe, balance, and believe by, I hope you don't mind, exposing a sort of personal story that you have. Uh, and again, it's breathe, balance, and believe in action in the, one of the most extreme ways. Uh, now, you were diagnosed uh, with Parkinson's uh, some years ago and uh, obviously not knocked sideways in terms of your life and in terms of everything that was happening around you. And you had to really live your own mantra. I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing that with our listeners. Uh, I'm now 59. And uh, a few years ago, I was diagnosed with, as you said, Parkinson's. And um, yes, if you talk about chaos hitting yourself uh, front line and center in your life, uh, it's not something we expect. Uh, it's not something you plan for. And uh, it hit me like that and it was devastating for my family and me and, and I had to process that and I had to go through my own BBB uh, I had to breathe about it and think about what my life would be like with it and I had to balance my situation and realize what I can do and what I cannot do anymore and I had to believe in myself to say well what's my new training program going to be like what's my new uh, life going to be like. And um, the beauty about what I'm doing right now by sharing my stories with people and traveling the world and, and talking to people who are uh, who are struggling with challenges, whether it's a corporate life or whether it's a job, whether it's a personal life, is uh, sharing my personal adventure. And I had to go through those processes of Parkinson's and I'm still going through them and I will be going through them for the rest of my life, uh, God willing. And... Uh, I think what I would share with people as a parting thought is that um, fight on, you know, keep fighting. Don't ever give up. Uh, years ago, I had a golden opportunity in my life, and I've met many people, interesting people in my life. Uh, I met Muhammad Ali, and um, he had Parkinson's in that 25 years ago. I did not know what Parkinson's was. I did not, I never heard about it. And we were in an aircraft, and I had a chance to meet him personally. And I was marveling at the fact that uh, it took him 
a few minutes to sign an autograph for me. And um, I, I, I'll never forget that day because that day that it, I met him, I kept thinking to myself, I said, you know, this is the hands that knocked out George Foreman, Ken Norton, and, 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 and hand, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. And yet he couldn't, it took him that long to sign an autograph for me. And uh, years later, when I, and he was dying of Parkinson's or uh, related illnesses, uh, I, I thought about that. And I, I, what I thought about was that years ago, he inspired me as a boxer. Uh, later on in his life, he inspired me as a fighter. Well, Papa, I just want to tell you how uh, powerful that is. And I'm sure all our listeners uh, listening to this podcast will feel the same way. Uh, that's a true example of uh, someone uh, living their own mantra and uh, a very inspiring story. I want to thank you for sharing that with us. Papa, I can't tell you how much I've really I've enjoyed this uh, session we've had. It's been great talking to you. It's always a pleasure to see you. Um, I really want to uh, offer our listeners the chance to make contact with you. And uh, if you're happy, I'll put your uh, details and your uh, web page uh, as a link to the end of this podcast so people can reach out to you and uh, make contact. Papa, it's been a real pleasure, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you. So that was Paul's interview with Papa. Man, that was such a great episode. I really hope you were taking notes on that, because some of that information is just absolutely priceless. Uh, Paul, do you want to close out with saying anything at all? Because, again, I think the interview was just spot on. Yeah, I enjoyed the interview too, Dan. And uh, I would just re-emphasize uh, what I said at the end. Uh, he's a very approachable character, and I strongly encourage uh, veterans uh, from all services to reach out to BAPA, as I'm sure if he can be assistance uh, in some way. Excellent. Well, join us next time, folks. Uh, I hope to see you around. And please let us know if you need anything. Uh, if you would like to hear anything on the episode or, or contact us for any reason, uh, the, the email address is just podcast at greencastleconsulting.com. That's podcast at greencastleconsulting.com. See you next time.